Good to greet you this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is good all the time. Amen. Amen. I recall living on Kauai in 1992 when Hurricane Iniki destroyed the entire island. I still remember driving around the island a couple of days after Iniki hit and seeing all of the abandoned rental cars on the side of the road leading up to the airport. The tourists were so desperate to get off the island as quickly as possible, so they just abandoned their cars on the side of the road. Have you ever, have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt abandoned? Well, I, I feel abandoned this weekend. Because my wife, Debbie, and our two kids, Makai and Gabby, they're, uh, they're away for the weekend. They're up at the North Shore at our camp. At a, at a youth conference. And so, I'm home all alone. The house is awfully quiet. And so I'm asking, what am I having for dinner tonight? Yesterday I had dinner, don't tell anyone, I had dinner with another woman. Her name is Wendy. She makes a great chili. Wendy's. Ever had Wendy's chili? Oh, it's great. The good news is that they'll be home this afternoon. But I want you to remember the word abandon. Abandon. You know, we're continuing our sermon series on the seven last words of Christ as he hung on the cross. And today's word, which is the fourth word in this series, is very, very different from the three previous ones we've seen in the last several weeks. You see, Jesus wasn't asking the Father to forgive the people, for they knew not what they did. And Jesus wasn't making a promise to a criminal that he would be in paradise with him that day. And Jesus wasn't looking at his mother and saying, behold your son. Or to John, the disciple, says, this is your mother. You see, those last three words that we looked at, those were tender words. Those were words of, of mercy, words of compassion, words of grace. But not so at this fourth word that we're going to look at this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. This is the story of the crucifixion. And this story is so important in the Bible that it's recorded in all four Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this exact same story is recorded in Mark chapter 15, but we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 45. And if you can picture this, you see the cross we have before us, Jesus hanging on the cross. They put him on the cross at about nine o'clock that morning. And so starting with verse 45, and you have it up here on the screens if you don't have your Bible, it says, from noon Until about three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Now, if you go back into history, there's no way that they can explain this darkness. It wasn't a solar eclipse. It wasn't the wind blowing dust in the air. But for three hours, there was darkness. And then it says in verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus had already been on the cross. His hands and his feet nailed there for over six hours. He says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried in a loud voice, and he cried out 
in Aramaic. And it's written in Aramaic in our Bibles. And he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. How many of you know Aramaic? Anyone? Well, I don't either. So fortunately, the Bible translates it for us into English. And what that meant, what Jesus shouted out, and what he cried out. And this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me, Father? You see, after being, after being whipped and after being brutally beaten until he was, they said he was unrecognizable, and then nailed to the cross for six hours, Jesus screamed the most gut-wrenching, heart-crushing, soul-ripping cry of anguish, abandonment, loneliness, rejection, sorrow, hurt, the most depressing cry ever uttered, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, God, have you abandoned me? Why, God, have you forsaken me, said Jesus, his very own son. Forsaken is a hard word for us to even think about, isn't it? That's not a word we normally use in our everyday vocabulary, is it? But forsaken means to separate, to separate connection with someone or with something. It means to abandon. It means to desert. It means to leave behind. It means to to forsake, to, to, to separate. When you divorce someone, you have forsaken them. When you fire or terminate an employee, you have forsaken them. When you abandon a pet out in the mountains or on the other side of the island, you have forsaken them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out. As I think about that, I'm thinking to myself, aren't, aren't there promises in the Bible, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that actually contradict this, that God would forsake someone? Doesn't Psalm 23 say, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me? And doesn't God say in, in, in Hebrews, I will never leave you, nor forsake you? But clearly we can see that Jesus, at this point in time, as he's hanging on the cross, he senses that he is utterly forsaken and abandoned by God. Why is it, you think, that Jesus is, is cut off from God at this moment? Well, let's look in the Old Testament. A verse from the Old Testament may help us to understand this. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. And it says, But your iniquities have separated have separated you from God. And your sins, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, God, God is a holy and a righteous God. And he's, he's so holy and he's so righteous that he's so much so that unholy people are in danger if they come too close to him. 
It says in Deuteronomy and Hebrews as well, for the Lord your God, our holy God, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. And if you get too close to that fire, you'll get burned. But we have a holy God, a just God. And so the fact that he's hidden his face from you, as it says Isaiah 59 two, the fact that he's hidden his face from us means that we can't experience fellowship with him or we can't sense his presence in our lives. He will not hear us because of the sin that is in us and in the world. I want you to think about this for a moment. If we can't experience his fellowship, if we can't sense his presence in our lives because of the sin, think about this. Do you think a terrorist, you think a terrorist who blatantly sins, do you think a terrorist who kills people indiscriminately is experiencing fellowship with God and can sense his presence in their lives? Do you think someone who is lying and being unfaithful to their spouse, are they experiencing true, intimate fellowship with God? And can they sense his presence in their lives? Do you think someone who's, who's secretly watching pornography, do you think they're experiencing intimate fellowship with God and can sense his presence in their lives? I want us to take a look at this diagram up here. And here you can see that we are on the one side, it's us, it's humanity, you and me. And God is on the other side, and there's a big gap between us. And we know that sin is in that gap. Sin, because God is holy and righteous and just, he can't stand the sight of sin. So wherever there's sin is, there's separation. Sin separates us from God. Romans 3.23, I memorized this when I was a little kid. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm sure most of you already know that. Some of you memorized that first. But I want you to do that this morning. Just repeat after me. Say and repeat to your neighbor and say, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Say it one more time. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. You see, we have a God who is holy and righteous and just and pure. And that's his nature. That's who he is. And because of that, he cannot, absolutely cannot stand the sight of sin. Nor will he tolerate it. He cannot go against his own nature. He's too truthful and too honest to go against his own nature of being holy and just and righteous. And so when he looks down at mankind and he looks down at you and me and he sees that we are sinners for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he says, I, I, can't, I can't stand that. It's against my nature. But God is also God of love. And he says... I'm going to try to fix and bridge that gap. Let's go back up there. And so he sent his son Jesus to die on that cross. And because of that, he's bridged the gap. You know, before we had that big gap, and I I use an illustration, the gap between us and God. 
It's kind of like um, if we say we're on this side of the state, we're in Oahu, and on the other side of that gap is, say, Kauai, which is about 100 or so miles away from us. And if we were to say, we're all going to try to be good and try to get to Kauai by jumping over there from Oahu. So you try to long jump. And some of you guys can probably long jump. Some of us would jump 5 feet. Some would jump 10 feet. Some would get 15. Some would get 20. I think the world record for the long jump is somewhere like 29 feet, almost 30 feet. And so all of us are going to try to jump this big gap. Some of us may get further than others. But the bottom line is, no one, absolutely no one, can jump from here to Kauai. Same as so, no one can jump from this side to the other side. No one, absolutely no one. That gap is too big. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. I'm sure this is not news to many of you, but we need to be reminded of that, that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. In Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. If we're sinners, we deserve to die. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel. Let's go to the next verse. It's in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it says, God made him, made Jesus Christ, God made him, who had no sin, because Jesus never committed a sin. He lived a perfect life. He was the Son of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. When Jesus died on the cross, it was my sin. It was your sin that he was bearing. And God poured all the sin of mankind on Jesus Christ. When he was on that cross. So God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Without Jesus Christ, we are nothing. We are like filthy rags. It's only through Jesus Christ we can become righteousness. Become righteous. So God made Jesus become sin by, by placing our sin upon him. Now Jesus, the only begotten son of God who was sinless became sin, and in turn, as we repent and believe and receive Jesus' sacrificial gift, we become the righteousness of God. Let me tell you a story. There was a sheep ranch in Australia, and there was this huge fire on this ranch, and unfortunately, many of the sheep perished in the fire. Now, on the sheep ranch, they had lots of sheep, but also lots of little baby sheep, little lambs. And unfortunately, many of the lambs perished as well. But there were a few survivors. So there were some mother sheep that survived and some baby lambs that survived. And so the ranchers said, these little baby lambs, they need to be nursed. So they brought the lambs to the mother sheep. But because these lambs weren't related to that particular mother sheep, the mothers refused to nurse those baby lambs. So the rancher had an idea. He said, the sheep aren't very smart, but they have a good sense of smell. If we take some of the skins off of the dead baby lambs, whose mothers still survived, 
and wrapped it around these poor little orphan lambs and put it close to the mother. Maybe the mother might think that's their baby and start nursing them. So they did that. They started wrapping these orphan lambs in the skin of these dead baby lambs and put them next to the mother. And sure enough, it worked. The mother sheep smelled, recognized, thought it was their own, and they started nursing those lambs. That's how it is with God. The Bible says, if we believe in Jesus Christ and accept him, we are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. So that when God looks upon us, he doesn't see us in our sin, but he sees his own son who is perfectly righteous. And he recognizes us as his own, like those mothers recognize those orphaned lambs. God recognizes us because we are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. Jesus took our place on the cross, and we took his place in the sight of God, his heavenly Father. So when God the Father looked at Jesus on the cross, he didn't see his son. He didn't see his son Jesus, in whom he was well pleased. Remember when Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan, the dove came down, and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. But when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he didn't see that son who he was well pleased with. But he saw in Jesus Christ on the cross all the ugly and horrible sins of humankind hanging on that tree. He saw the exact opposite of who Jesus was. He saw everything that was contrary to him. Everything that was contrary to his will. Everything that was contrary to his ways. He saw sin. He saw sin when he saw Jesus on the cross. And because God is holy and because he's righteous and because he's just and because he's pure, he couldn't stand the sight of sin. He had to punish sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus took the full force of God's holy wrath He was forsaken by God so that we wouldn't have to be. You see, when God the Father looked down on his son, Jesus, on the cross, he couldn't stand the sight of what he saw. So he turned his back. He abandoned his son. He forsook his own son because his son was full of sin and horrible and ugly things. And you can imagine, you can imagine what Jesus was feeling at that moment. It was an agonizing feeling for Jesus, who lived in total intimacy with his Father, depending on God the Father for each and every step of the way. And how many times did we read in the New Testament of Jesus trying to sneak off from the crowd to be alone with his Father? to pray, to meditate, just to spend time, just to have this intimate relationship with his heavenly Father. And how many times did Jesus pray to his Father to seek the strength he needed? As painful as the physical cruelty of the cross was, 
I believe the pain of isolation from his father during that time hurt him more than any nail piercing his skin. God actually turned his back on his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I know that I already mentioned that his separation from God came from taking on the sins of the world. But when we say the sins of the world, that can be very general. That can be very impersonal. And that can, we can lose perspective on the part that we play in it. The truth is that Christ experienced this pain and isolation and rejection on the cross because of my sin. Because of your sin. And each of us, each and every one of us, none of us are excluded. Each of us played a part of him being on that cross and experienced that isolation from his father. And you see, Christ not only paid the price for the sins of those who had gathered around the cross and mocked him, or those who had abandoned him and denied him at the hour of his greatest need for support, but the price he paid went all the way to thousands of years later, till today, to right now, here in Kapolei, in Hawaii, March 6, 2016. And Christ wasn't only doing it for the present, but he was, he was doing it for the future. He knew that there would be other people who would sin. And because God is holy and God is just, there has to be a price for those sins, for the wages of sin is death. But what Christ did once and for all on that cross 2,000 years ago covered not only the sins that we've committed in our lives so far, but if we fall in the future, if we do something we shouldn't have done, if we allow our mind to become captive to thoughts that we shouldn't have, those sins too have been covered when in repentance we trust in Christ and what he did for us. And that's a promise from God. So when you truly think about what your sin and what my sin caused Christ to have to go through, not only physically, but also spiritually. There's no way that you cannot hate sin if you truly love Christ. We talk about grace. We talk about grace that is free. And yes, grace is free. It's a gift of God. But it's not cheap. There's a difference. Something can be free but it doesn't mean it has to be cheap. It's not cheap grace because it costs God something. It costs Jesus something. It costs him his entire life. And so many times, we as believers, as Christians, we cheapen the grace that God offers for us and we take it for granted. So this is one of God's great mysteries. Someone might ask if Christ was fully human and yet fully God. But how did God forsake God? It's hard to fathom all of it. But we understand enough to know that God loves us so much that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so this morning as we come to a close, I want us to remember the pain in the agony and the suffering 
and that crying, that statement from Jesus Christ on the cross. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went through that sheer agony of being separated from his father. And he went through that so that I would not have to be separated from God. So that you would not need to be separated from God. And so that we can truly claim the promise that he would never, ever leave us nor forsake us.